Welcome to Better Off Bald, a life in 147 days. A serialized non-fiction podcast that chronicles the story of 15-year-old Adrian Wilson's 147-day battle with primary liver cancer. As she lay dying, Adrian taught others, including her older sister Andrea, who raised her, how to live. Welcome back to Better Off Ball, the life of 147 days. I am your host and storyteller, Andrea Wilson-Woods. Whether you're watching the video or listening to the podcast, I really appreciate you tuning in. And if you are watching the video, you will see that I am incredibly pale right now, paler than usual. <laughs> um, I found out that I was misdiagnosed a month ago with an upper respiratory infection that resulted from a cold. Turns out it wasn't an upper respiratory infection. I finally took my own advice that I give patients, got a second opinion, went back to my own doctor, and I've had walking pneumonia for about six weeks, including the time I was at a huge medical conference in Chicago. So I took last week off from filming, and um, but I can't get behind in my schedule, so here I am shooting just for you and for the podcast, and I apologize for my ghost-like appearance, but let's get started. Days 53 through 58, Saturday through Thursday, July 7th through 12th, 2001. A pulse of 108. Over 120 is a hospital call for me. I've nearly gotten used to the sterile white walls and fluorescent lights. How is Whitney? She had a nosebleed that wouldn't quit. It led to urinary tract infections, bleeding double Hickman's, and a collapse. Well, see you Thursday. Right. Adrian's journal entry dated July 7th, 2001. The pain returns where it all began in Adrian's right shoulder. Maybe if I hadn't bragged to Dr. No yesterday about the pain being gone, Adrian's shoulder wouldn't be hurting this morning. I give Adrian two milligrams of Dilaudid. I get out the extension cord and plug in the heating pad so she can use it on her shoulder while she watches TV. I make a notation on the whiteboard where I keep track of Adrian's medicine schedule. Pain back, gave two milligrams Dilaudid at 8 a.m., try Q6. Eight milligrams total for today. On Sunday, the pain continues like an uncontrollable wildfire. I write, pain worse, try four milligrams Dilaudid Q8. Now we're up to 12 milligrams. Adrian has a temperature of 99.3 degrees, but Tylenol does nothing. Her pulse fluctuates between 108 beats per minute to 120 beats per minute. Her next round of chemo is a week away. I'm not sure her body can wait that long. I'll ask when we go to the clinic. Adrian is scheduled for a blood transfusion tomorrow. During her first hospital stay, Adrian's blood was typed A positive. It seems fitting an honor roll student would have A positive or A plus blood. I know one has nothing to do with the other, but it makes it easy for me to remember. My blood type is A negative, and my cumulative grade point average in both high school and college was an A minus. I cannot give Adrian my blood. It's not good enough. It's not compatible. Once again, I can't help her. Monday morning begins. I don't feel well, sissy. How's the shoulder, I ask. 
between a two and a three. A happy sigh escapes my lips. Adrian's pain has lessened. I give her only two milligrams of Dilaudid, along with her other morning meds. She drinks juice, but refuses a piece of toast. A little nausea caused by swallowing pills on an empty stomach doesn't compare to chemo-induced nausea. My relief is short-lived, however, when Adrian grabs the plastic country crock bowl and throws up all six ounces of the juice. Somehow, the pills stay down. She sighs and shakes her head. I look at my watch. Half past eight. We have less than two hours to get to the hospital. It's just another manic Monday. The Bangles song lyrics cycle through my head. I wish it were Sunday. I don't wish it were Sunday, though. Yesterday, Adrian was in more pain. I'll take the vomiting over the pain any day. Why am I debating these issues? What kind of reality are we living in? At what point did we acknowledge, adapt, and accept these circumstances? When did this become normal? It's just another manic Monday. The blood transfusion suite, as I like to call it, is a large white room filled with half a dozen beds, television sets, and IV poles. A nurse brings a pint of O-positive blood, the universal donor. After Adrian is hooked up to receive the blood through her central line, the same nurse brings her pills. Adrian looks at me with one eyebrow cocked. What's that for? I ask. Oh, the nurse replies, some people need pre-meds before the transfusion to help them relax. I read the no on Adrian's face. I think we'll skip them and see how it goes. Adrian's had enough pills for one morning. Okay, the nurse shrugs her shoulders and puts down the paper cup containing the pills so she can begin the transfusion. Just relax. Here's the remote so you can watch TV. As she leaves, the nurse closes the curtain around the bed to give us privacy. Within 15 minutes, Adrian closes her eyes and falls asleep. I take the remote out of her hand and turn off the TV. I watch the blood as it flows from the bag through the plastic tube, which is connected to her line. Who donated this blood, I wonder? Was it a man or a woman? Someone young or old? I say a silent thank you. The transfusion takes almost three hours. When Adrian wakes up, I notice how her face is flushed with color. I didn't realize how pale she had gotten until now. Her red cheeks make her appear healthier. I ask, how you doing, kiddo? Adrian yawns. A little sleepy, but I feel better. You look good. Adrian grins and yawns again. Her smile fades when Dr. No pulls the curtain back. He clears his throat. Adrian and I say hello. Our greeting to him feels strained, unnatural. Why is he here? I have her test results, he looks at me. My breath catches in my throat. Heart is normal. I exhale. Damn that technician for scaring me. The CAT scan shows no change. This time no change falls into place like a block in the video game Tetris. 
No change fits perfectly between my expectations of no worse and no better. Fuck you, no change. AFP has decreased to 1.7 million. That's an improvement. Hearing shows a slight loss at higher tones in the right ear. Adrian sits up. What? A loss? It's minor, says Dr. No. A human cannot even hear at those higher tones. No more, sissy. Adrian, no. She crosses her arms over her chest. I will not be deaf. We'll talk about this later. Adrian grimaces. Thank you, Dr. No, for giving us the test results. Of course. Teresa should be in here soon to discuss the arrangements. He makes it sound like we're planning a funeral instead of changing physicians. Dr. No walks out, leaving the curtain open. Sissy, you can't make me take that chemo again. She is referring to the cisplatinum, the one drug that could cause her to lose her hearing permanently. My head hurts from digesting the good news along with the bad news. We'll talk about it later, Adrian. I can already tell by the look on her face. The discussion is closed. If there is one trait Adrian and I share, it is stubbornness. When we disagree and go head to head with each other, even John gets out of the way. A few years before the Christmas tree incident, we battled over her fifth grade science project. The year before, Adrian had won first place at her elementary school's annual science fair competition, and she was determined to win again. However, on the day the students were to present their projects to the judges, Adrian and I were leaving town to visit our mother for spring break. Her teacher, Mr. Snyder, offered to videotape her presentation so she wouldn't be disqualified. He told Adrian to describe her project in detail, explain why she chose that project, and to relax, to smile, and to be herself. Adrian stood in front of me in our tiny kitchen in our studio apartment. I insisted she practice her presentation before Mr. Snyder taped her the next day. Hi. My name is Adrian Wilson. For my project, I create a battery by using electrical currents. Adrian looked at her notes. I chose this project because I like electricity and it was hard to do. Okay, honey, try again. Smile and relax. Say the title of your project first tell us why it was hard to do. I was remembering what Mr. Snyder had said and imagining what the judges wanted to hear. Hi, my name is Adrian Wilson. Sissy, I can't do this. Adrian whined. I hate whining. Yes, you can. I stressed the word can even though I meant will. You have to, since you won't be there in person. Try again. My project is, is about electricity, Adrian whimpered. She looked at her notes again to find the words and then up at me. I don't want to do this, sissy. I hate public speaking. You have to do this or you'll be disqualified. Now, Adrian, Mr. Snyder gave you a chance to stay in the competition. You're not going to blow it. Do it again. 
The I can't, you can war went on for two hours, ending with me throwing my hands up in the air and Adrian dissolving into tears. Despite numerous attempts the next day, she never successfully presented her project on camera. Mr. Snyder gave up too. Adrian didn't place in the science fair that year, which was a shame since her project was by far one of the most complicated and interesting ones in the competition. Looking back, I wish I had changed our flight and risked our mother's wrath. The irony is, even though she hates public speaking, Adrian would have been fine in person. The harder I pushed her, the harder she pushed back. When she makes up her mind about something, whether it's I can't talk on camera or I won't take that drug, Adrian does not change it. I've learned my lesson though. This time I won't push. Even though a part of me wants to shake her into submission and scream, this drug could save your life, you're going to take it, damn it. I will not do it. I do not understand. But it's her life, her body, and therefore her choice. After the successful transfusion, Adrian receives her first pentamidine treatment, the antibiotic that replaced Bactrim. There are no pills to swallow, no liquids to drink, Instead, Adrian inhales the pentamidine for about 40 minutes. She cannot talk during the treatment, so when I ask how she's doing, she nods and gives me a thumbs up. Adrian finishes inhaling the pentamidine, and we return to her assigned bed to wait for Teresa. She doesn't keep us waiting long. I ask about two other doctors we have met at Children's, but neither one of them specialize in liver cancer. Teresa recommends Dr. Marco. He goes by his first name because no one can spell, much less pronounce, his last name. He is the chair of the Liver Tumors Disease Strategy Committee for the Children's Oncology Group. Plus, I think you and Adrian would like him, she says. We agree to meet him the day after tomorrow. I wonder what Dr. Marco has heard about us, but then I realize I don't care. That evening, I sit down to write an email to the editor of our local paper, the Burbank Leader. I can't remember whose idea it was to contact the paper, but someone suggested it. I bite my lip as I watch the cursor blinking on the screen. Even though I have heard the term pitch letter before, I don't know how to do it, so I write from the heart. I introduce myself and Adrian, give basic facts such as her age, her interests, and her diagnosis, and I explain our desire to make more people aware of HCC, a common cancer worldwide even if it is considered rare in the United States. As I skim the email, certain lines jump out at me. Light of my life, she's a fighter and an old soul who touches everyone who meets her. As I press send, I feel that someone will call us. I mean, how could they not write a story about Adrian? The day before we are about to meet Dr. Marco, Adrian lies in bed with pain infiltrating her body from all sides. Her head hurts, her shoulder aches, and her back spasms due to the pressure caused by her now enlarged spleen. I give her two milligrams of Dilaudid around 3 p.m. As her pain increases, I first increase the frequency of the medication from every four hours to two hours to one hour, and then I increase the amount, giving her six milligrams of Dilaudid at midnight so she can sleep in peace. She has consumed a total of 14 milligrams of Dilaudid for the day, the most since her last round of chemo. I wonder what, if anything, Dr. Marco will say about her pain. Is it a sign? Is Adrian getting worse? Are the tumors spreading? 
how can we make the pain go away? As soon as Adrian wakes up, I give her another six milligrams of Dilaudid so she can make it through our appointment with Dr. Marco. She keeps asking about Dr. Aquino at UCLA, but I tell her to be patient since Medi-Cal has not approved the transfer yet. I never had time to conjure an image in my mind of what Dr. Marco would look like, so when he walks into the examination room, he does not fail to meet any expectations. He appears younger than Dr. No, and he volunteers he's originally from Brazil, which I would not have guessed given his light complexion. First, I ask him about Adrian's increased pain. Dr. Marco lapses into a monologue about stable versus progressive disease without actually answering my question. As soon as he finishes speaking, Adrian wastes no time telling him what she wants. I don't want to be on cisplatinum anymore. I'd rather be dead than deaf. I can't wait to see how he responds to her. We can try amifostine with a cisplatinum to help lessen any potential hearing loss. He hasn't read her chart yet. We already tried that, Dr. Marco, I reply. As you can tell, Adrian isn't happy with the result. Plus, the amifostine made her very sick. There must be other drugs. Of course, carboplatinum and etoposide are two other possibilities, but carboplatinum can hurt the kidneys, says Dr. Marco. Are those chemotherapy drugs? I ask as I write down the drug names phonetically in my spiral notebook. Yes, since your sister is tolerating adriamycin well, we can give her dextrezoxine, a cytoprotective agent, before administering the treatment. Good. Her heart will be protected now. I recommend replacing cisplatinum with a phosphamide. It causes bladder damage, but another cytoprotective agent, mesna, can help minimize that side effect. And well, the bladder isn't a vital organ like your kidneys. Adrian blanches, but I can see her mind turning over the possibilities. Keep my hearing and kidneys, lose my bladder. She nods. I scribble notes as fast as I can. Dr. Marco treats me like an equal, and I don't want him to think I can't keep up. Thank God I bought that consumer's guidebook. All of these drugs will be listed there. I ask, what about Zelota? remembering the discussion with Dr. Aquino. Zelota converts to 5-fluorouracil, or 5-FU in your body. It has no proof of efficacy with liver cancer. I nod, not because I agree with him, but I already know that Zelota is a derivative of 5-FU. I read about it after the appointment at UCLA. I push harder. Have you used Zelota before? No, but I'll be happy to look up some studies for you. I say fine, even though I suspect he will find studies to support his position. Dr. Marco continues, Thalidomide has proven successful in increasing appetite, weight, and lean body mass in cancer patients. The drug that caused birth defects? I ask him, believing I must be wrong. Yes, the very same. Oh, okay. I write down thalidomide, wondering when it came back on the market. What about epigen? I read it can treat or prevent anemia caused by chemo. We can try it. It has proven effective in many cases. Wait a minute. I just suggested a drug, and you said okay. If it's such a good idea, why didn't Dr. No prescribe it before? Adrian interrupts for the first time since she got her way about the cisplatinum. My bones and muscles ache. What's causing that? And I'm always nauseous. Nothing helps. Dr. Marco replies, we should check your calcium and magnesium. You might need supplements. 
We'll schedule a quick blood test before you leave today. Can we continue the Provacol? I don't see why not. It's not hurting your sister. Dr. Marco looks at Adrian. You know, we could try Marinol for your nausea. Marinol? Adrian and I asked the question in unison. It's the medicinal form of marijuana. I voted for that bill to pass in a state election years ago. I never thought it would affect us, though. I shouldn't say this, but smoking the drug is better. Many people have no response to the synthetic form. Adrian laughs. You mean I can take pot legally? That's what I'm recommending, says Dr. Marco. I don't know how to respond. You said smoking it was better, but I wouldn't even know where to get it. Adrian laughs harder and says, I can think of a few people. Dr. Marco smiles. Well, I can't help you there, but we'll try the pill first and see how it works for you. I'll have Teresa call you later today to follow up with our conversation. He looks at Adrian. I'll see you soon, he says before walking out. I can't believe I'm going to take pot. All those times I said no at school, and now I get to take it and see what the big deal is. I see Adrian's shoulder blades jut out as she hunches over, still chuckling over the recent turn of events. I feel myself smiling. I can't believe it either, kiddo. I've never tried pot. You'll have to tell me what it's like. If Marinol helps you gain weight, then I'm glad I voted for it. An old college friend, Nicole, calls me to tell me she is in town. She wants to take me out to lunch tomorrow to show off her new baby, Sarah, whom I've never met. I was a bridesmaid in Nicole's wedding three years ago. Adrian attended as a guest. Nicole knows Adrian is sick, but she seems surprised when I explain I can't have lunch with her. My life is different now, I tell her. I can't just jump up and leave anymore, but you are welcome to come by the house. Nicole finds a reason to say no. Still wanting to see her, I suggest she visit us at the hospital next week, saying how much Adrian likes company during chemo. Nicole doesn't respond, but I feel her apprehension through the phone line. Part of me wants to say to her, your precious baby girl can't catch cancer, but I don't. Nicole is a mental health care provider. I shouldn't have to tell her what she already knows. Nicole and I have been growing apart for years. She moved to the East Coast after graduation and converted to Christianity. Living in Philly didn't hurt our friendship much. Nicole, becoming Christian and believing I was a sinner doomed to hell, however, did. Then Nicole says it. One of those stupid utterances people offer when they don't know what else to say. God only gives you what you can handle. My jaw drops. I mumble goodbye, and I hang up. Of course, I come up with the perfect response later that evening. I wish I had said, by your logic, Adrian got cancer because she and I are strong people who are given tests in the form of diseases that might kill them. So if Adrian and I were weaker people, she would be healthy now. I want to show Nicole how irrational her statement is but she never calls me again. Thank you for watching and listening to Better Off Bald, A Life of 147 Days.
please subscribe to my channel and stay tuned for the next episode. You just heard a chapter from Better Off Ball, A Life in 147 Days, a story told and written by Andrea Wilson Woods. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe to our podcast, share it with your friends, and leave us a review on iTunes. Thank you for listening.